Finding a service solution that helps you keep customers happy can feel impossible. Just like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at a networking event. HubSpot's all-new Service Hub can help, with the service solution part at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform, with an AI-powered help desk and chatbot to handle your frontline tickets, so you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. I'm Zachary Crockett. And I'm Mark Dent. You're listening to a special edition of the Hustle Daily Show. Ordinarily, in this podcast, we fill you in on the latest in business and tech news. Today, we're going to do something a little different. Mark talked to former legislators, athletes, and CPAs to get to the bottom of how professional athletes pay taxes. What he found out is pretty nuts. And by the way, if you're a remote worker, some of this might also apply to you. So Mark, every year when I do my taxes, there's this question that trips me up. It's basically some iteration of, did you perform work in more than one state? And it kind of always makes me think twice. Yeah. I mean, most of us do work in other states. Maybe we send some emails during a vacation in Arizona, join a few Zoom meetings during a conference in Boston, or maybe a confession. Maybe I've recorded a podcast in a different state. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, if it's just a few things here and there, it doesn't really seem like a big deal. Like the IRS isn't going to come knocking on our door every time we do something somewhere else. But it does make me wonder like, what about people like professional athletes who are on the road half the year playing in dozens of different states? They have to pay taxes in almost every single state that they play in. What? Are you serious? Yes. So think about the NFL. When the Chiefs were just in the Super Bowl in Arizona, when the Eagles were at the Super Bowl in Arizona, they have to pay wage taxes for that state. They're called jock taxes. And for a few decades now, athletes have been waging a war against them. Why don't you just tell us what a jock tax is in simple terms? Yeah, it's essentially a tax that's charged on athletes for working in a state. It's charged on their wages for that day. And it's the same amount percentage-wise that that state would charge anyone who works there, whether they reside or visit or whatever. Ah, gotcha. So if I'm paying a jock tax in California, the state tax is 9%, the jock tax will be 9%. Yes, exactly. And it would be the highest income earner tax because a lot of states, of course, have you know different percentage levels. But whatever that highest range is, that is what the athletes would pay. Sure. So as we said, we all do a little work occasionally in other states or cities. You know, if you're a nurse practitioner or graphic designer, you might be doing something somewhere else. What makes athletes a particularly unique case here? Well, for one thing, as I was talking about highest income earners, they are among the very highest of income earners in this Mm -hmm. country who make, you know, millions of dollars a year. And they're very easy to track. Their schedules are public. Mm -hmm. You know, Philadelphia knows when the New York Knicks are coming to town. Hmm. It's right there for months in advance. Yeah, there's no disputing it when there's HD video of you that was broadcast on, you know, Fox Sports or something. Exactly. (laughs) It's like the easiest potential tax case to win. Sure. So do we know anything about the origins of these taxes? So it's kind of murky, like the exact origins, but like at least by the 80s, maybe even by the late 70s, California had been 
charging athletes to pay tax when they played in their states. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin and Ohio had some taxes around that same time too, but they didn't really become like nationally known or really a big deal until Michael Jordan came to Hmm. the uh, Great Western Forum in Inglewood and defeated the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Wow. So as many other things in sports, they started with Michael Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of his other legacies that I think is probably the (laughs) least discussed. But what happened was California had been doing this, but people in Illinois kind of got wind of it. And um, I spoke to Mm. this guy who was a state senator, a freshman state senator at the time in Illinois, still trying to make a name for himself, John Cullerton. He's gone on, at least as he tells me, to be the sponsor of the most legislation that's ever been passed in Illinois, which I think is either a great honor, depending on your viewpoint, or like, (laughs) dude, what? Depending on your viewpoint. But anyway, he heard about this somehow. Maybe it was a news story. He couldn't exactly remember. Hmm. But he just thought like, well, if they're taxing Michael Jordan, but we're not taxing Magic Johnson, that's not fair. Hmm. And so he came up with this bill and it passed very easily in the Illinois legislature. And it was kind of deemed in the press, Michael Jordan's revenge. Wow. Okay. So this freshman senator from Illinois, he basically read in a newspaper that California had charged Michael Jordan, who traveled from Chicago, $10,000 just for three nights of work in California in these jock taxes. And he says, this is extremely unfair that it's just levied on this one athlete. Let's expand this and make something out of it. And it was a purely reciprocal law because they would only charge visiting athletes if they hailed from a state who charged Illinois athletes there. Ah, Truly, it wasn't that much of this like cash grab. It was more like, well, some of these other states are already taking part in this cash grab, if you will, if you want to call it that. And so we're going to take back what we believe is ours. Mm. And that was essentially the spirit of it. Things then evolved, to say the least. Things evolved. Okay, so let's talk about how they did evolve. How did jock taxes spread from there? So once word got out, not only about California's, but you know about Illinois, other states, they just thought it seemed like a good idea too. Like this was like an era, late 80s, early 90s, when states were facing spiraling deficits. And there was, you know, within like the kind of hyper wonky governmental sphere, there was these things called like boutique government Mm -hmm. where you'd want to find ways to earn revenue that didn't involve raising taxes on the majority of residents Mm -hmm. because that was not popular, nor is it ever. Mm -hmm. And there was also just the extreme increase in professional athletes' salaries. So where you had, for instance, we came up with this great graph, Zach, that you put together. In 1979, Rod Carew was the highest paid baseball player at $800,000, which is about $3 million in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. But you know, 10 years later, the highest MLB player was paid roughly triple that. And, and then mm-hmm. it just kept on going and going. So there was a lot more money to get back. Cities and states both dug in. Mm-hmm. They, they just saw it as like, we need this money. Like, I mean, Philadelphia, where I used to live in the early 90s, was just like on the verge of bankruptcy. And, and it avoided mm-hmm. bankruptcy in no small part because it found a lot of these kind of clever ways to tax people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it really is kind of astonishing to look at athlete salaries over time. On that note, you know, you brought up Rod Carew making 800,000 in 1979. A-Rod, 33 million by 2009. I'd say that's safe to say that that outpaces the rate of inflation. Yeah, I mean... They're talking now, like, I I think in the future, not to get too off topic, but like, I mean, we're going to see maybe in the even 
fairly new future that an athlete could make 100 million a year. Sure. Yeah. It's not unreasonable. And now today, these job taxes are so prevalent that your average athlete is filing out 10 to 15 tax returns <laughs> per year. Okay. And as super agent Lee Steinberg once said, it's an accounting nightmare. I'm sure it is. <laughs> that does not sound fun for anyone involved. So let's break down how these things work. What you just mentioned is uh, you know, a crap load of paperwork. But when you actually look at the formula behind this, it's really not that complicated. Yeah, it, it makes sense for sure. So what happens is that players, you know, who are in the major leagues or who are in the NBA, et cetera, they often just get paid like the rest of us. You know, they get a check mm-hmm. every two weeks, maybe every month, whatever it might be. But, you know, we see like, for example, Stephen Curry, who makes somewhere along the lines of 37 million a year, that 37 million essentially gets broken out into what is known as duty days. Hmm. And for NBA players, that might be something like maybe 100 to 150. For the NFL, it's 150. It's 180 plus for Major League Baseball. And these are days that are considered where you're playing a game Hmm. or like participating in some like true team activity, not just if you're going and lifting weights on your own or something like that. So to get the tax, what these states and cities do is they'll take that yearly salary, like 37 million, for instance, in the case Mm -hmm. of Stephen Curry, And whatever days that they were in the state playing a game, or maybe they showed up a day early and they had like a shoot around. So maybe it's like, maybe Steph Curry went to New York for two days. Gotcha. So then you would take the yearly salary times those two duty days divided by the total, you know, 120 or 130 duty days or whatever it is. And then you just multiply that by the state income tax rate. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then to like give a little bit more sort of detail to that equation. Let's talk a little bit more about Stephen Curry. So in the 2018-2019 season, he did play two games in New York. I guess Mm -hmm. maybe one against the Knicks, one against the Nets, blah, blah, blah. And so New York has a 6.85% state tax for high-income earners like Curry and a 3.65% in the city. Hmm. So for those two games, he ended up being taxed $95,000. Jeez, okay, (laughs) okay. Yeah, this Curry breakdown is pretty astonishing when you look at it. I mean, you know, 37.4 million during the 2018-2019 season. Yeah. And you can sort of break down all these jock taxes he paid. Of that 37 million, he paid 945,000 in jock taxes. And I don't even know how many this is like at least 15 different states here listed out. Like 95,000 in New York for two games, 90,000 in Oregon for two games. 89,000 in Minnesota for two games. It just goes on and on. Colorado, two games, 42,000. North Carolina, just for one game, 25 grand in taxes. Yeah. One game in Ontario, 246,000 though, because they got that big 55% tax rate. That is (laughs) astonishing. Okay. So if I'm a pro athlete, I kind of do not want to go play in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. The advent of the Canadian basketball teams, RIP the Vancouver Grizzlies and the current Toronto Raptors has definitely led to an extra headache for the NBA. Okay. Getting traded to the Raptors is not a good thing for taxes, at least. (laughs) Yeah. So a couple years ago, one of Andrew McCutcheon's tax returns actually leaked on the internet. Andrew McCutcheon pretty famous pro baseball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think, at the time. And you can kind of see on this tax return in our article on thehustle.co, it breaks down what he paid in all of these states. So you'll see it's one pay stub. So it looks like our pay stubs. It has Medicare, you know, city taxes. It has all of the things that our pay stub would have. 
But then it has a sort of Florida jock tax, Illinois jock tax, Missouri jock tax, St. Louis jock tax, and just these columns of extra fees that were incurred, extra taxes. These guys do make a lot of money, so it's kind of hard to feel bad for them. But when you see it on paper, they are paying like well over 50% of their income just in taxes. Yeah, and it's definitely a lot. And when you see that paycheck, it also kind of helps to explain how the teams help them out, right? It is still an accounting nightmare Mm. and they have to do a lot of work or at least hire someone to do a lot of work come, you know, March or April of every year. But their employer, Mm. just like our employers do, they withhold. And the employers know to withhold in every one of those states. Mm. And so that at least makes the process a little bit smoother in that, you know, each of these teams usually have staff who are like compliance people who who handle a lot of this stuff. Sure. By the way, that two-week paycheck from McCutcheon, $427,000 in case you were wondering. Not bad. (laughs) Okay. So given all the money that's taken out of the paycheck for these jack taxes, some cities and states, it sounds like, have maybe taken this a little bit too far and courted some pushback. (laughs) They've been overzealous, Uh some of them. Uh, Tennessee, most infamously... I don't know how they ever thought that they'd be able to like get away with this, but they charged a flat tax of $2,500 per game to visiting NHL and NBA players with like the really defined purpose to improve their arenas. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a tax, you know, a flat tax, yeah, yeah, that's going to raise eyebrows to begin with. But then it was for this one specific purpose that the rest of the taxes, you know, that's not how it works, right? In the rest of the state. Mm. And so, you know, for Steph Curry, two and a half K per game, whatever. Uh, as we just went through, that guy sure. has to pay a it's lot peanuts. of money. Yeah, in, in other places. But there are NBA players who make the league minimum of $458,000 at the time. Back in 2009. It's not a whole lot higher than that now. But like that would exceed the amount of money they made for a day. <laughs> okay. So they paid more in taxes than they made to play that game in Tennessee. Ridiculous. Yeah. What became of that? It was really unpopular and it was repealed in 2014 after pressure from NHL and NBA players mm. unions. And the other kind of infamous jock tax is Cleveland. And we were talking about that duty day formula earlier. The key there, right, for like an NFL team or something like that, or an NFL player, is that you divide the number of games that you're playing in that city divided by roughly 100 or 150, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty large denominator. So Cleveland, instead of doing that duty day formula, they did it based on games played. So in the NFL, you only play around 20 games per year if you Mm -hmm. include the preseason. So instead of saying one divided by 100 or 150, it was one divided by 20. Yikes. And so you owed a lot more. There was a football player named Hunter Hillenmeyer who I interviewed who he wasn't making a ton of money early in his career, or at least relatively speaking. And he realized that he owed $5,000 for a single preseason game. And in the NFL, the paychecks are are kind of uh, balanced in an odd way where in the preseason, you don't really get paid your full salary. Mm. And so that week, he only made like $1,000 and yet he had to pay <laughs> $5,000 to Cleveland. Wow. And so him and um, another NFL player named Jeff Saturday filed a lawsuit. They won. Cleveland had to reform its jock tax to wow. do the duty days like everyone else. Hey, everybody. I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work. And it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. 
They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. It sounds like athletes detest these. Yeah. We all hate our taxes, but athletes in particular really hate these jock taxes. It also sounds like, you know, outside of these extreme cases, states and cities don't really benefit either. So who exactly loves these taxes? Who, who are they really benefiting? Basically nobody, except for a couple of parties, which I will get to. But first, so why nobody? So remember when Illinois first started to do this, it was it really was Michael Jordan's revenge and it was reciprocal and it was just like, right. we just want right. to get back what, you know, what you guys have kind of taken away to these other states. But once everybody started doing that, it essentially became entirely reciprocal where, where every state that has a state income tax has a jock tax now. And so what's interesting is that states don't want to double tax their athletes. That could lead to a lot of legal red tape. Mm -hmm. So that means when someone from the Chicago Bulls plays the Los Angeles Lakers, they only owe those taxes to California. Hmm. And those two days of work that they normally would have paid in taxes to Illinois, Illinois says, don't worry about it. We're going to give you a tax credit. So Illinois doesn't get that money, right? And so... Then when California players come and play in Illinois, okay, Illinois can charge those players, but that just means it's a complete wash, right? right? It ends up where these states that for the most part have the same tax rate, they just have to go through a lot harder work, a lot more complicated work to get the same amount of money that they would have anyways. Interesting. With a couple of exceptions. It's basically doing a lot of work to get the same amount of money for the sole purpose of sort of making it look perfect on paper. Yeah. And it's one of those things where because everybody is in the game, nobody can leave. Hmm. Like Cullerton, that state senator from Illinois, told me unless all the states ended it at the same time, it would be difficult for any one state to unilaterally disarm. Hmm. And the main, I'd say maybe not the main reason, but one of the top reasons why these taxes have kind of kept going on for, you know, 30 plus years now are California and New York. They are, of course, huge states with a lot of pull just generally speaking, but they charge high-income earners greater than 10% hmm. taxes. That's a much higher state income tax rate than almost everyone else. Hmm. So when their players go to Illinois, it's not just a complete swap, right? Those Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers, will have to pay a tax to Illinois, but because Illinois' tax rate is only like, I don't know, I think 5%, give or take, mm -hmm. then the Los Angeles Lakers have to pay the rest like that other extra 5% to equal the 10 oh, wow. to California. Okay. So California does make money off of all this. Hmm. And so does New York. But these other states that all have about the same tax rates, it's just a wash. Gotcha. Okay, so high tax states maybe are benefiting from this. Everyone else. They're benefiting and, and they're, right. yeah, they're kind of driving it, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, say the least. Yeah. And California in 2015, they made $103 million off Major League Baseball from jock taxes, $58 million from the NFL, et cetera. Just, you know, a lot of money. Jeez. Okay. Well, as a California resident, that does not surprise me. <laughs> okay. So at this point, you might be wondering if you're listening to this, this is all very interesting, but uh, I am not a professional athlete. I don't earn $37 million a year. At the end of the day, who cares? If you are one of those people, there is kind of a strange connection here to remote work, just broadly remote work, as you sort of explored, Mark. Yeah. So 
Jog tax is just like the fun nickname for this, but it's really just tax. Mm-hmm. And Philadelphia is a good example of this because when they started to levy their jock tax, they also started to levy these same taxes against like doctors and dentists and lawyers and other well-paid professionals who were visiting the city, whether it was for like a conference or maybe they like, you know, were out in the suburbs and came in for the day or whatever. Mm. And that's just to say that on the books in every state and in most cities, are that if you come in and you do work, then you owe tax. Hmm. There are 41 states in the U.S. that charge income tax and around half require visitors to pay income tax if they work for just a single day in that state. Okay, even if you're not a pro athlete. (laughs) Even if you're not a pro athlete. The the difference, like we were saying earlier, is that states tend to not bother with someone who's like a nurse practitioner or an engineer or something like that. But, you know, they can bother with athletes because they're high profile. So that said, with more people working remotely and states also wanting to earn money, like there's a little bit of fear that they are maybe losing income taxes from big employers, you know, who let their workers go off and work somewhere else. And so they may start cracking down, like at least like on like the really big companies of the world and and say they won't go up to like individual employees, Mm -hmm. but they could tell those employers, hey, you need to withhold. Like you need to tell us exactly where your employees are working and withhold properly. Mm, interesting. Which could lead to some headaches. That'll filter down to uh, to us regular workers. Right. So as you said, the IRS usually doesn't really care about this. But yeah. as we move toward a more remote work environment, a pretty substantial swath of the white collar workforce is now remote in post-pandemic world people might start caring a little bit more. I mean, if you're a big employer in California who has 10,000 employees, let's say, and uh, 6,000 are living in other states, working elsewhere, filing taxes in their home states, California's not getting that money. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Jared Walzak, who works for the uh, Tax Foundation, which is like a big think tank, he said, you know, A, states are getting more serious about this. And and that's one reason why we should consider reform of some of these tax laws. But secondly, he just said that like people don't want to be out here, quote unquote, breaking the law. And if you don't file a tax return, if you've worked in a certain state for a couple of days, that's technically what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's just silly to have people in that situation. So to sort of counter these fears, this group called the Mobile Workforce Coalition, which I assume sort of has the interest of remote workers in mind. Yes. They have pushed for Congress to pass federal legislation, actually, that would create a 30-day grace period for visiting workers in other states. This is sort of a conversation that's coming into the public consciousness, and there already is some pushback against these potential applications more broadly to remote workers. Yeah. And that bill has some bipartisan support, but it's also one of those bills that in some form, it has been presented to Congress since 2012. Wow. So for 10, 11 years now, and it has not passed. It has not even really gained any traction, despite, again, having that bipartisan support. Part of that reason, according to um, Jared Walzak at the the Tax Foundation, are a couple of those states I mentioned to you earlier, New York and California. They like things (laughs) how they are. I'm sure they do. Mark, what surprised you most reporting this story? I think it was when you really dug into this, you could find out just how much of a wash this whole thing was. Like, I I think when I went into this, I just was like, okay, the jock tax, like it must be good for, you know, at least some parties, there must be a, a real reason for it. But, but there just really isn't, you know, the athletes aren't better off for it. 
most states aren't better off for it either. Mm. And it's just one of those things that has just continued and continued because as that state senator from Illinois, John Cullerton, had told me, like, you can't be the first one to disarm. You know, you can't be the first one to stand down. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today was Robert Hartwig and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage for you in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. That's thehustle.co slash email. We'll catch you all tomorrow.